Hey, so a little bit of an addendum to our uh, post a couple of days ago in regard to uh, the diminishing of America in light of uh, Ezekiel 38 and 13, where we spoke about, uh, and we have talked about this many times in looking at this passage, that there, uh, there, is, there is seemingly, if not likely, um, a reference to the United States as one of the young lions of Tarshish. I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, invite you to go ahead and watch the previous post where you can hear more on that discussion. But, um, but in connection with that, uh, I just want to point out a couple of events that are going on here and just encourage a broad-minded thinking. Uh, matter of fact, if I could put it this way, uh, understanding geopolitical events and biblical prophecy and how these things tie together is chess, not checkers. Uh, there are moves and counter moves that are, you know, 10, 12, 20 moves ahead that are being contemplated by those who make decisions and are in power right now. Let me explain what I mean by this. Um, as we've talked about a move toward globalism in our day, uh, a move which, by the way, is happening. It's not theoretical. It's not uh, a question of, uh, man, you know, if we could just change a few things, we can keep this from happening. We're beyond that. It's happening. And part of the reason it's happening is because the Bible tells us that in the last days, there will be a globalized community that stands against Christ at his return. And as we've often said, that doesn't happen just overnight. It's not like a switch gets flipped and suddenly the whole world is just ready to try and take on Jesus when he comes back. Uh, Allah, uh, not Allah, but Allah. Uh, Psalm 2 and uh, Revelation 13 through 19 and such. Um, this is going to happen. This is going to come. We, we need to understand that this is, this is not an if thing. It's a when thing. And so when we talk about prophecy and uh, we consider what's going on in the world around us and we try to see it through the lens of what the scriptures say, uh, we point out the fact that what we see going on around us is the how we get from point A to point B. Again, I don't think just all of a sudden everybody gets sort of a glazed look in their eyes and suddenly they're just following the Antichrist and everything just goes uh, goes south. That's not really what it is. Things happen over time that condition and cultivate an environment where he will rise to power and by and large be embraced by pretty much everybody in the world. Uh, he'll be an answer man that finds a way to bring peace, that finds a way to bring economic equity to the world. Uh, he'll require that people take a mark of allegiance that they will not be able to buy or sell without, and it will be in connection with worshiping him. And we've talked again much about this kind of thing, but um, but this is this is what we're talking about, and this is why we uh, try to see what's going on around us through a biblical lens. Well, what events today are taking place? Uh, again, in connection with some of our previous discussion and discussions really on the subject. Um, well, when I say that it's chess, not checkers, that means that uh, in order, if you play checkers, you know that you can basically just, you're just watching each move and you're jumping pieces and all this kind of thing. It's a fast, kind of a fast moving game. There's strategy, but it's generally pretty basic and that kind of thing with respect to those who maybe are professional checker players that would, that would take exception with that. But typically when we talk about checkers and then we talk about chess, we know we're talking about a different level altogether. We're talking about you know, a whole different level of strategy. We have different kinds of pieces that uh, have certain kinds of moves available to them and that kind of thing. And so when we, when we talk about chess, we're talking about a game that is synonymous with the concept of strategy, 
moves and counter moves and counter counter moves uh, in, in geopolitics and military and all these kinds of things. We're talking about things like intelligence and counterintelligence and how do we affect things. When we talk about economics, we're talking about uh, understanding the domino effect of economic decisions, both short and long term and those kinds of things. And so when we talk about uh, the idea of how we get from one point to another, moves that happen that have global impact are significant and important for us to pay attention to. In days past, we've talked about things like Agenda 2030 and the sustainable future that the United, uh, United Nations goals uh, present to us. We talk about the World Economic Forum uh, that leads primarily through influence. It's not a nation state. It's not a, a global governing body per se, but it does have significant influence. And Klaus Schwab is its chairman and founder. Uh, in particular has tremendous influence and has even gone as far as to sort of groom young leaders uh, to sort of embrace this idea of globalism and equity and all these different ideas. And so these are things that are happening right now as we speak and have been for a very, very long time. Uh, some of the major players, the names may have changed in terms of individual leaders of countries or even in terms of organizations that have had influence around the world for generations. Uh, today, one of the most prominent, well, a group of the most prominent players in regard to global politics and, and really, uh, I'll just bring it out, in terms of uh, moving the world to, uh, in the direction of the Great Reset that has been spoken of so openly, uh, dealing with economic, uh, political, uh, social, environmental, and technological uh, 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 disciplines throughout the world. Um, this is a move that is well underway and has reached a point of momentum that it would be hard to say has not reached critical mass. It is, uh, I'm, I'm always open to the possibility that because in history we see an ebb and flow of global events, it could be that things die down or something stops things in their track uh, and that sort of thing. I'm always open to the possibility that would happen, but I also don't want to be naive uh, to the point where I would say that, you know, that at some point, we go over the edge. At some point we are, again, we've reached critical mass and we're going to be moving at such a pace as to, and it's and so pervasively, that we're not going to turn things around anymore. I have a feeling that we're at that point already. And so, having said that, uh, when we look at events that are going on around the world and have that have potentially global or are currently accept, uh, have global impact, it's important for us to pay attention to those things and understand some of the why behind them. Uh, for example, the Russia and Ukrainian conflict, um, you know, whereas, uh, you know, early on when we see that happen, you know, the initial thing is very emotional. It's like, oh my gosh, Ukrainians are being sort of, you know, stomped by this, you know, much larger and more powerful superpower and that kind of thing. Well, as time goes on and facts become more, uh, more well-known and we begin to see beyond the surface a little bit, we realize that there's more going on there than that. Uh, this particular conflict is one that, um, that that has underpinnings to it that are significant. The impact of these things are affecting, uh, nowadays, most, uh, most uh, recently, uh, we're seeing now uh, some of the, uh, what will become a much greater impact, where we're seeing the beginnings of what is going to be a, a catastrophic impact in terms of energy in Europe, because uh, Russia has been providing uh, a significant portion of the, uh, of the energy uh, for Europe for a long time now. And so uh, they have been curtailing that in response to sanctions having to do with Ukraine. Um, 
Now, what does that have to do with our previous conversation? What does that have to do with the weakening of America and this kind of thing? Well, America stands as a fly in the ointment to globalism. There is, and if I can be a little bit romantic about this, um, the, and I, again, if I've said this already, forgive me, but I'm just, uh, you know, uh, I want to make the point, but the strength of the United States Constitution really has been uh, a bane in the, uh, uh, in the efforts of the globalists who are trying to bring the world under a uh, globalized system. Again, we talked about this last time, we've talked about it many times. I'll uh, encourage you to watch some of our previous posts on this. But when we when we talk about the effects of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine and our, our mishandling of it, uh, we, we clearly could have played a much uh, more fair-handed diplomatic role between these two nations early on, but we didn't. And it was very clear that we didn't. And so now we see this, and by not doing that, we essentially encourage much of what is going on here today. Uh, and I don't think that's overstating it. I don't think that's overstating it. Um, I have a suspicion that the Biden administration was seen by the globalists as a great opportunity to fast pace a lot of things having to do with moving the world into a global unity. Again, in, these, in, in all of these five areas uh, that we just mentioned that are pillars of the Great Reset. Um, however, again, the strength of our Constitution, the general mindset of most Americans is much more nationalistic, much more independent-minded, is not, uh, you know, is much more interested in the day-to-day, -day, just being kept to ourselves and living our lives kind of a thing. So when, you know, when, when on the upper echelon, people like President Biden are talking about um, building back better and, and it's, we're going to have to do things and make sacrifices because of all these different, you know, pandemic and war and all these kinds of things. We're trying to build a better future and it's, of course, lining up exactly with, uh, you know, the ideas of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, etc. Um, but by and large, most Americans are not on board with that fundamentally. Most Americans would not want to go in that direction but instead would want to just have low gas prices. They would say, open the pipeline and let's just take care of ourselves and not worry about all this other stuff. This is the mindset of, of a typical American. So it's those kinds of things that I would suspect the globalists, globalists assumed uh, would, uh, would give way under a Biden administration. But that hasn't happened as fast as they thought. Now they find themselves uh, having to sort of try and you know, push this thing forward, even though they don't have, uh, you know, quite the resource in, in terms of leadership in the United States that they had hoped to have. So that being said, when when we mishandle crises like the Russia-Ukraine conflict, or most recently now, I want to get to this, um, uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, the leader of the uh, House of Representatives, one of our governing branches here in the United States, uh, almost unilaterally decides to go to Taiwan. Uh, even, at, even at Taiwan's discouragement. Uh, and the reason why Taiwan discouraged it a little bit is because, and this is an interesting thing, if you don't, if you don't pay attention to these kinds of things in the news or you don't follow you know, sort of our political interactions with other countries, uh, and I'm not an expert in this, but I do find it interesting, and I, I love political theater, so these kinds of things are interesting to me. But Nancy Pelosi went, decided to go to Taiwan, and, and China's response to that 
was one of threatening and ramping up military exercises. Uh, it was dramatic. This was not a small thing uh, for a nation like China to decide in response to an individual going to Taiwan to ramp things up to that degree. That is a very, very significant and provocative and dangerous response. Um, if you are familiar, there's a, uh, an example of this um, in uh, my, one of my very favorite movies. It'll probably bore many of you to tears, but I find it wonderfully dramatic. And it's Tom Clancy novel turned into a movie, The Hunt for Red October. The Secretary of Defense is talking to the Russian ambassador about uh, this submarine that's gone rogue and has gone missing and all this kind of thing. And they start talking about how because of the Russian military buildup in this area looking for the submarine, the United States in prudence has to respond in kind and make sure that our ships are out there to keep an eye on their ships and all this kind of thing. And the ambassador, the, the, I should say the uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, speaks to the ambassador very firmly and says, wars have begun this way. In other words, this kind of provocation has brought conflict that has been devastating. And so China making this move is not just saber-rattling. I mean, I, I think that they are really starting to make sure we understand that they are not messing around when it comes to the question of Taiwan and China. Well, what is the question of Taiwan and China? This is why this whole thing is so provocative. Nancy Pelosi made it clear, both through tweeting and through her rhetoric, that the United States is standing with Taiwan. Now, that sounds bold, and it sounds like bravado, and it sounds good from an American standpoint in some respects, again, in light of the sort of isolation per se, but in light of the sort of uh, more nationalistic mindset of many Americans, there is something within that statement that sounds like we're sticking up for the underdog. Uh, much like we've tried to portray our relationship with Ukraine, we're, sticking, we're, we're helping to defend an underdog who's being pummeled by a, a superpower. Well, here it is with, in Taiwan, it almost sounds like the same thing. Uh, we're standing with an underdog that is sort of being lorded over by uh, an oppressive regime in China. But here's the thing, Taiwan is not an independent nation, and our, our official government policy in the United States is that we don't support an independent Taiwan. And so when, and you, and you can see this, this, this coming up in press conferences uh, uh, in the White House briefing room when you're hearing the discussions between our defense people who are speaking, our defense spokespeople, and the reporters. They're asking about this. Well, how can China not assume that Nancy Pelosi is saying that we're sticking with Taiwan uh, in the face of China. Well, and of course, you know, probably in a certain amount of just, you know, demurring, uh, you know, the, uh, the Defense Department spokesperson just decided to let Nancy Pelosi speak for herself when she has time because uh, he didn't want to put his foot in it. And it's hard not to appreciate and understand uh, the thinking behind that because what Nancy Pelosi has done is essentially uh, screw things up, much like we did with Russia and Ukraine. She's basically stuck her finger in the eye of another superpower around the world that is all too ready to try and demonstrate our weakness in the world. So this is how it begins to connect with the diminishing of the United States in light of Ezekiel 38:13. How is it that we're not going to come to Israel's aid? It may be some combination of things. One, that our interests are not strong enough uh, in supporting Israel in the light of the particular nations that are coming against her, Russia, Iran, Turkey, uh, other nations like this. Um, 
and it may also very well be that we have been demonstrated uh, to be all talk and no action. We're weak because of moves like this one of Nancy Pelosi or like our mishandling of the conflict in Russia and Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine. Um, these are things for us to watch, uh, especially if we're in the United States. Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's somewhat theoretical if you're outside the United States watching this. I mean, there will be repercussions economically and that kind of thing. And I would even argue geopolitically if the United States sort of uh, scoots down to the end of the grown-up table and is less and less impacting, um, that's going to have repercussions around the world. But here in the United States, it's going to be profoundly impacting. Uh, if you combine that with the idea, uh, speaking of China, that the digital yuan is making is making a rise to where it may very well become the reserve currency through which business is conducted on a global level. The, the U.S. dollar is that right now. But if that gets shifted apart, that is a massive sign of American weakness. Now again, I'm, this is not a rah-rah session for America. I am convinced that in one by one means or another, we will find ourselves sidelined as, as Ezekiel 38.13 seems to indicate if we're in view there. Uh, so when I see these things happening, uh, in my mind, I'm just playing chess. And I'm imagining the moves and the counter moves and how those might go. Now again, I'm, I have no insight. I'm, I don't have anybody sitting at the table there that's feeding me information on this stuff. I'm just reading the news, and I'm reading a lot of different sources of news. Uh, to try and get as full a picture as I can on this so that I can think clearly about it and get a sense of where we might be on it. Um, and so I just, you know, share that with you, my thinking on that. But my encouragement really, ultimately, in sharing all this is to encourage you to do the same. Uh, I am an average believer. I study my Bible and I and I share those things that, that come from it. And when it comes to prophecy, I try to understand what's going on so that we can just make some sense of what the Bible says about what's coming and how we might get there. But that that is not something that I alone am equipped to do. You can do that. Uh, you, as an average believer, can watch the news, read the, you know, as I say, read the newspapers. Who reads newspapers? But, um, you know, you can get online and you can, you can follow a half a dozen different sources and, and follow what's going on and piece it together yourself. You don't want to jump to conclusions. You don't want to be dogmatic about what the next step is going to be unless you know for sure. But I don't do that because I don't know for sure. I'm just looking at the at reasonable, they're not purely hypothetical, they're a little speculative, but I think they're reasonable based on what we see going on around us and what we know the end picture is going to look like. So again, just wanted to share an addendum to our discussion the other day. The uh, previous post was getting a little bit long and so I wanted to just make sure that we um, sort of encapsulated that, but I found that it, it really, I felt it was important to share another thought or two on that as well, so hopefully you find it useful and an encouragement to continue to look into these things yourselves. So, thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and Father, we do just commit ourselves to you in these days. We know that like Esther was uh, there for such a time as this, so are we, it's uh, where we are in the world right now for such a time as this. We pray that we'd be wise, that we'd be prudent, that we would be um, considerate of what your word has to say and, and let that be the guide through which and the lens through which we view what's going on around us. Help us not to be uh, uh, panicking and skies falling, but rather help us to rest in the knowledge that whatever is happening is ultimately working toward the end that you have decreed and determined and one day we will see it come to pass. That should bring us a tremendous amount of peace in knowing that you hold history, even that which is yet to be written from our perspective, in your hand. 
And so we just ask that, Father, you'd help us to be about the business you've called us to, uh, living out our faith intentionally, being a light, a beacon of light, and a beacon of hope as we share the gospel. And we want to see you work. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move and that he would draw many, many people into the kingdom following Jesus in our day before these things fully unfold. We know the scriptures don't paint a picture of revival in the last days, uh, short of uh, you know, what we see in Revelation with the witnesses and such, but in our day, prior to those things, uh, we don't know what to expect in that regard. We do pray that there would be a tremendous outpouring of your spirit, that many millions would come into the kingdom. And Father, whatever that's going to look like, we just pray you'd let us be a part of that and help us to just walk faithfully with you in these days so that others might come and, uh, and see the, the effect of the gospel in our lives, both in terms of our eternity and that eternal destiny being changed, but also in regard to becoming more and more like Jesus every day as we walk with him. We love you and thank you. We praise you and bless you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, if you uh, have any thoughts or questions, uh, you can share them on our YouTube channel in the comments section, or if you want to uh, send an email, you can also do that by sending it to info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And uh, a lot of times we'll take those questions and we'll address them on our uh, on a post. And so glad to see those come in. But uh, most of all, I want to thank you for watching and listening. And thank you for praying as well. Um, you know, I pastor a church and this is, I don't, I'm not a, a YouTuber per se or anything like that. I pastor a church and we make time for these too. But, um, but like many of you, we're part of a local fellowship that is seeking to walk with Jesus in these last days. And so we would covet your prayers. And of course, you know, we pray for you as well as, as, uh, as requests become known. So thanks again for everything. And just uh, God bless you and, and uh, watch over you until we see you next time. Bye-bye. We'll see you.